When you're criticized, first look in a mirror and decide, are your critics right? If they're right, change. These are my favorite pieces of advice from Jeff Bezos, the world's most influential CEO and founder of Amazon. Enjoy this episode of the Billionaire Mindset Series. Today, Amazon uh, is employing uh, 566,000 people. You are probably the uh, biggest job creator of uh, recent times. At the same time, you are aggressively criticized by unions and by media for paying low wages, for inappropriate working conditions. How do you deal with these accusations? Well, first of all, when any criticism, our, my approach to criticism and what I teach and preach inside Amazon is when you're criticized, first look in a mirror and decide, are your critics right? If they're right, change. Don't are resist. Right? No, but not in this case. But we've had critics be right before and we've changed. We have, we've, we have made mistakes um, and you know, I, can go, I can go through a long list. Probably the, one of the early most painful ones, it's, it's so stupid, it's hard to believe how we ever did it but um in the early on in the, with the kindle maybe the first year of the kindle or the second year of the kindle we had um accidentally illegally sold um for our given away i guess copies of the uh famous novel 1984 because it had a complicated copyright history it was in copyright in the U.S. and not in the U.K. or something strange like this. So it was in the public domain, but only in certain geographies. And we had screwed that up. And the, 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 somehow, and this is, a, this is a kind of mistake that only a corporation can make. An individual can't make this mistake um, because somehow it's like it happens at the, at the intersections of the different teams. So you've got the legal department saying, oh, crap, we've made this mistake. And, and you've got the books team. Anyway... The answer that, that, the, that the, the company came up with was to, without any notice or warning, just electronically go into everybody's Kindle who had downloaded that book and just disappear it. <laughs> so it would be as if we walked into your bedroom in the middle of the night, found your bookshelf, and just took that book away. And, um, and, so, it was a, and so we were rightly criticized for that. It was, uh, and, and, and we, we responded to that. On the, condition, and the issue of, um, of working conditions, I'm very proud of our working conditions, and I'm very proud of the wages that we pay. You know, in Germany, we employ 16,000 people. We pay at the high end of the range for uh, any comparable work. So is we it a union fight because benefits. the union want to make sure that you well, are unionized or what, what is the I, real substance it's, it's, of the conflict? It's a good question. I, you know, and this is in my longer version of how to deal with critics. Because There are two kinds of critics. Uh, there are well-meaning critics um, who, uh, you know, they, they're worried it's not going to work, but they do want it to work. And so it could be, I could give you an example, customer reviews would be one of those. Um, when we first did customer reviews 20 years ago, publishers were, some book publishers were not happy about it because some of them were negative. And so it was a very controversial practice at that time. But we thought it was right, and so we stuck to our guns and, 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 and had a deep heel on that and didn't, didn't, didn't change. Um, but uh, there's a second kind of critic 
which is the self-interested critic. And they come in all shapes and sizes. You know, they're, um, so they can be any kind of institution, competitors, um, of course. And so when you are doing something in a new way, and if customers embrace the new way, what's going to happen is incumbents who are practicing the older way are not going to like you. And they're going to be self-interested critics. And so you do need, as you're looking yourself in the mirror, to try and tease those two things apart. You know, in our view, you know, we have, very, we, have, we have workers' councils, of course, and we have very good communications with our employees. So we don't believe that we need a union to be an intermediary between us and our employees. Um, but, of course, at the end of the day, it's always the employee's choice. And, and that's how it should be. So we're... But, but for sure... We would be very naive to believe that we're not going to be criticized. I mean, that's just part of the terrain. You have to accept that. One thing that I tell people is, if you're going to be, if you're going to do anything new or innovative, you have to be willing to be misunderstood. If you cannot, if you can't afford to be misunderstood, then for goodness' sake, don't do anything new or innovative. Maggie Thatcher said, "Leadership is not to be pleased by the moment." Um, Perfect. But. Your most prominent critic at the moment is the President of the United States. Uh, people are even saying that he may be willing to prepare initiatives to break up Amazon because it's too big, it's too successful, it's too dominant in too many sectors, or for very other reasons. First of all, is this scenario of a break of something that you take seriously, or uh, you think it's just a fantasy? For me, again, this is one of those things where, you know, I focus on and ask our teams to focus on what we can control. And I expect, whether it's you know, the current U.S. administration or any other uh, government agency anywhere in the world, Amazon is now a large corporation, and I expect us to be scrutinized. We should be scrutinized. I think all large institutions should be scrutinized and, and examined. It's, it's reasonable. And um, what's you know, one thing to note about us is that We have, uh, we, have, we have gotten big in absolute terms only very recently. So we've always been growing fast in percentage terms. But in, in, in 2010, just eight years ago, we had 30,000 employees. So in the last eight years, we've gone from 30,000 employees to 560,000 employees. So for us... It's kind of, you know, in my mind, I'm still delivering the packages to the post office myself. You see what I'm saying? I still, I still have all the memories of, you know, hoping that one day we could afford a forklift. And so obviously that's my, my intellectual brain knows that's just not the case anymore. We have 560,000 employees all over the world. And, and I know um, we should be scrutinized. And I think it's true of big government institutions should be scrutinized, big nonprofit institutions should be scrutinized, big universities should be scrutinized. It just makes sense. It's, it's a, and that's, by the way, why the work that the Washington Post and the other great newspapers around the world do is so important, because they're often the ones doing that initial scrutiny even before the government agencies do. The Bush Center, we focus on leadership. And I know that you're also a voracious reader. Um, and you're fond of a book by Nassim Tlaib called The Black Swan. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's, it's about human tendencies to reduce, thing to reduce things to anecdotal stories um, and to shield us from sort of the randomness 
of the way things actually happen. Building narratives yeah. and, and how, how we, can, we humans can that. create a narrative around anything. To connect any sequence of facts, we can create a narrative. So how, how do you infect that uh, throughout the whole organization when you have that many, that many layers? Well, um, I, I think that, you know, what I would say about that, it's really a little different from the way that, um, that Black Swan talks about anecdotes, the way you're talking about, but I'm actually a big fan of anecdotes in business, not building a narrative structure around them necessarily, but I still have uh, an email address that customers can write to. I see most of those emails and I don't answer very many of them anymore, but, but I see them and I, and I forward them, uh, some of them, the ones that catch my curiosity, I forward them to the executives in charge of that area with, with a question mark. And that question mark is just a shorthand for, can you look into this? Why is this happening? What does it, what's going on? And what I find is very interesting, because we have tons of metrics. We have you know, weekly business reviews with these metric decks, and we look at our, we know so many things about customers and their, uh, their you know, whether we're delivering on time, uh, what, you know, whether the uh, packages have too much air in them and, you know, wasteful of packaging and so on. We have so many metrics that we monitor. And the thing I have noticed is that when the anecdotes and the data disagree, the anecdotes are usually right. There's something wrong with the way you're measuring it. And that's why it's so important to to keep your... You need the, to run something that you, where you're doing, you know, uh, shipping billions of packages a year. For sure, you need good data and metrics. Are you delivering on time? Are you delivering on time in every city? Are you delivering on time to apartment complexes? Are you delivering on time in certain countries? You do need the data. But then you need to check that data with your intuition and your instincts. And you need to teach that to the, all the senior executives uh, and, and junior executives. How has your leadership style changed? Uh, over the years? Um, it's changed a lot, mostly just because it's had to. You know, the company has changed so much, and uh, I can't, you know, when the company is 10 people or 100 people, I can be involved in every decision, not just, you know, not just the objectives, like what are we going to do, but even the methods, how are we going to do it? Uh, and a, as the company gets bigger, uh, a, you know, the CEO or the founder or whoever it is leading the company cannot. Uh, be involved in all of those decisions. They certainly cannot uh, be involved in the methods of how things are going to get done. So you do have to change your leadership approach as the company scales. Um, but, the, but, the, but the principles of the company have not changed. In fact, I probably spend more of my time now on culture and uh, setting, trying to set high standards for things for, for the, like customer obsession and um, uh, uh, inventiveness and things like that. So for me, I'm, I'm kind of a teacher now, so it's changed quite a bit. And I have this great luxury. I love my job. I tap dance into work. Even I, get back, I just got back from an amazing vacation in Norway. Um, I got to go dog sledding and go to a wolf preserve and all this really cool stuff. But I couldn't wait to get back to work because it's so fun. And the reason, one of the reasons it's fun for me is I get to work in the future. So my job, I'm, I'm, I have very um, uh, limited kind of day-to-day -day operational uh, needs. That, you know, I'm, I've constructed my job so that 
I don't have to be pulled into the present. I can stay two or three years in the future. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm always advising my senior team, the people who report to me, that they should organize themselves in the same way. We're big enough now that they need to be able to look around corners. They can't be, if something pulls me into the present, it's because something has gone wrong. Um, you know, and, and we need to, you know, kind of figure it's a, it's a firefighting exercise. And that's not how you should be running a business of this scale. So it's changed a lot. About a, about a year ago, you said you were, wanted to look for some good philanthropic ideas, and you got, I think, 47,000 of them, and you yeah. reviewed them. And how did you decide uh, where to put this $2 billion, and would you describe exactly what you're going to well, do? Well, that process was very helpful. So I, I, I solicited ideas, uh, kind of crowdsourced, and I got literally, as you said, something like 47,000, maybe even a little more. Some of them came to my inbox, most of them came on social media. And uh, I read through thousands and thousands of them. My uh, office kind of correlated them all and put them into buckets. And um, there were some themes that emerged. Uh, but the other thing that's fascinating about the kind of exercise is you see just how long-tailed it is. People are interested in trying to help the world in so many different ways. A lot of people um, are very interested in homelessness, including me. A lot of people are very interested in education of all kinds. I'm very interested in early education, and um, I may, the, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. My mother has become, uh, in running the Bezos Family Foundation, she has become an expert in, in uh, early education. I'm a student of Montessori schools. I started at Montessori when I was uh, two years old, and uh, uh, the, the, the teacher complained to my mother, the Montessori school teacher complained to my mother that I was too task focused and that she, she couldn't get me to switch tasks so she would have to just pick up my chair and move me. And by the way, I think that's, if you ask the people who work with me, that's still probably true but the, today. Did that teacher ever call you since and said she was responsible for your success? You no? <laughs> no, I'm in touch with several of my um, high school and elementary school teachers though, but I don't know any of my Montessori school teachers. Okay. So the gift that you're giving, uh, essentially, you're going to have some for preschool for children who need preschool, free treat preschool. Yeah, for full tuition preschool, Montessori inspired. Um, I'm very excited about that because um, I'm going to operate that. That's going to be an operating nonprofit, and we're going to put them in low-income neighborhoods. We know for a fact that if a kid falls behind, um, it's really, really hard to catch up. And if you can give somebody uh, a leg up when they're two, three, or four years old, by the time they get to kindergarten or first grade, they're much less likely to fall behind. It can still happen, but you've really improved their odds. The money spent there is gonna pay gigantic dividends for decades. The other part of your gift will be to give awards out to... Yes, and that's gonna be more traditional uh, grant-making philanthropy. So there, I'm gonna identify, with the help of a team, uh, identify and fund, vet and fund, um, uh, family homeless shelters. And that will be, you, you said you would give an initial $2 billion. Yeah. You expect to add to that? Yeah, it's day one. Everything I've ever done has started small. Um, Amazon started with a couple of people and um, uh, Blue Origin started with five people and uh, the budget at Blue Origin was very, very small. Now the budget at Blue Origin is, approaches a billion dollars a year. And next year it'll be more than a billion dollars. And Amazon, it literally was 10 people. Today it's half a million people, but you, you, it's hard to remember for you guys, but for me it's like yesterday, I was driving the 
packages to the post office myself and um, hoping one day we could afford a forklift. And so, so for me, I've seen small things get big and it's part of this day one mentality. I like treating things as if, if they're small. You know, Amazon, even though it is a large company, I wanted to have the heart and spirit of a small one. And then uh, so anyway, that, the day one foundation is gonna be like that. We'll, 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 um, we'll wander a little bit too. So I, we have some very specific ideas of what we wanna do, but I believe in the power of wandering. All of my best decisions in business and in life have been made with heart, intuition, guts, uh, you know, uh, not, not uh, analysis. Um, when you can make a decision with analysis, you should do so. But it turns out in life that your most important decisions are always made with instinct, intuition, taste, heart. Um, and that's what we'll do with this day one foundation too. Right. And the customer is gonna be the child. This is, this is so important because the secret sauce of Amazon, where there are several principles of Amazon, but the number one thing that has made us successful by far is obsessive compulsive focus on the customer as opposed to obsession over the competitor. And I talk so often to um, other CEOs and uh, some other CEOs and also founders and entrepreneurs, and I can tell that even though they're talking about customers, they're really focusing on competitors. And it is a huge advantage to any company if you can stay focused on your customer instead of your competitor. So then you have to identify who is your customer. Um, so at the Washington Post, for example, is the customer the people who buy advertisements from us? No, the customer is the reader. And in the school, who are the customers? Is it the parents? Is it the teachers? No, it is the child. And that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be obsessively, compulsively focused on the child. We're gonna be scientific when we can be. And we're gonna use heart and intuition when we, when we well, need to.